Good morning, everyone. I think most of you know me or remember me. Uh, we've been uh, in this fellowship for a couple of years until uh, summer 2014. And then we moved uh, with our family to Germany. By the way, this is my wife and my middle daughter. The little one is with the uh, children. And uh, we have two uh, older ones, one living in uh, Southampton and one in Bristol. Yeah, it's uh, quite a reunion for us to see you all, all here. Glad to see all your shining faces and uh, picked up the, the worship and I really got into the mode of, uh, of preaching. And I sense there must have been some supporting prayer this, this morning. All of a sudden there was a surge of worship coming up. And I first want to give you a little bit of an update what uh, we have been uh, doing in the last uh, two and a half years it is. Uh, so we went to, uh, we moved to Germany to a place called Winterberg. And Winterberg is very descriptive. It is, <laughs> the winters there are long and it's high up. We are about 2,000 meters up in the mountains, so it's uh, considerably uh, colder. So you wear a fleece for... <laughs> oh, you're Italian. No, no, nothing for you. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Um, we believe that God sent us there, but we went there not really knowing what is going to happen to us. We knew just a handful um, of people there. And I know that the, the Bible asks us not to plant churches, but to make disciples. And that has been so much on my, on my heart. Once you have the disciples, you can set the structure up for a church. But uh, disciples is the material that you need to make a, a church. The, uh, we know some Christians there. A friend of mine, Manfred, um, he drummed them up all together. There was a, a, a house fellowship there in the, back in the 90s. And they were all scattered uh, over the place and it took Manfred two days to ring all the bells and, and go to all the people and say, hey, we are, we are starting again. <laughs> Do you want to come? <laughs> Within a, a week, uh, we were uh, together again, or, or many of them. The people we have there are many people with some issues that you have when you, when you run a church or uh, when you meet people. We have... Lots of issues. We have people who come out of depression. That seems to be an overarching thing there. Uh, people uh, battling with alcohol, job loss, uh, marriages on the rock. Some people have grown little in 20 years. Some are mat quite mature. It's a different breed of, uh, of people. And some of them have not been well taught. So there's a, a dearth of the word of God. It's not that there's a lack of doctrine, but there's a lack of authoritative preaching. It's one thing to, to, to read some truth out to people. I can read a, a sermon from Spurgeon, but it would not come across as if he were taught a man who's, who's all prayed up and on fire for God. Uh, we have no, no lack of churches there and even some sound teaching, but it really lacks the authority and the prophetic utterance of the word that always should come along when you're preaching. About Germany, Germany has fallen from truth just as, as Britain has, but you have fallen from greater truth than we. 
I was given many books from a former missionary to Indonesia and I love to study biographies and research on the past moves of God. I always get excited when I, when I hear about revivals. And there were even revivals in Germany some 100, 110 years ago and boy was the spirit moving there. I also found that there was a lot of cross-fertilization between Britain and Germany back and forth during the time of... Um, the Reformation and even before some people from England were fleeing to Germany and, and Germans getting inspirations from the English people. George Muller went from Prussia to, uh, to, to the UK and always vice versa. So there's a really linkage. Well, we, we, we had some time of war, but <laughs> there was a, a lot of cross-fertilization. I'm amazed about that. In Germany, we are celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And I think we have moved a great leap backwards, it appears to me. Yeah, coming back to our people, with all those people we have, though I, I found I had inherited a, a herd of sheep that are somehow unkempt and dirty and weak and, and malnourished. And I thought, well, God, can I not have some people who have it a bit more together and, and who, are, who are strong and upbeat and everything is all right? But the Lord came to save these people. He came to save the lost, the broken, the down and out, the disillusioned. And I said, these are my people. These ones I came, I came for. But there are really hopeful signs as well. We have a strong ladies' prayer meeting. Money and I, we prayed that there will be a ladies' prayer meeting because I know that the ladies always go for it once they get going. And uh, so we have a good spirit of prayer there. And we are actually growing together. So that's, that's really good, uh, good to see. Yeah, uh, we're not meeting on Sundays yet. Uh, we, um, we just meet um, during the week. And people go to their uh, various churches um, around uh, in the area. And the churches are thinly spread in the area. So you have to drive at least 30 hours to get to a... a 30, 30 minutes, thank you. 30 minutes to, to have some sort of a church. So about our, our, ourselves, um, I uh, sold my house and quit my job and uprooted the children from their, from their school. So it was, quite a, it was quite a shocking thing. So it was a bit brutal. But uh, now I think we, um, we settled in. I uh, got uh, self-employed, uh, representing a Dutch um, hardware, IT hardware uh, company, so that uh, uh, comes up uh, for a living. So we are very grateful um, for that. The children can continue their, uh, they're continuing their education. They they got into it and um, doing well in school now. And we even have some musical um, uh, lessons for the for the children, which is uh, really good. Coming to my sermon today I wanted I actually always wanted to talk about the dimensions or the prepositions of the cross so today I want to look with you at the at the cross but also before the cross after the cross left and right of the cross above the cross below the cross, on the cross, 
And last, I want to talk about us and the cross. We're celebrating Easter today, and I'm not want to go into the discussion about the legitimacy of um, East, Easter. Tom mentioned uh, something about that uh, today. But it's a great opportunity to celebrate what the Lord has done for us. First preposition, before. Before the cross, if you lived then, you had little hope of salvation. Our ancestors were pagan and they were deeply into sinister idolatry. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Thank God that you did not live then. I just wonder about the cries of those people who were living in those times or in these areas where Christ has not been proclaimed. There must have been people crying out for salvation and having no hope in the world. There was no gospel. There were no missionaries. They only had the witness of uh, creation. They knew in the heavens and and nature there must be somebody who who made this all. But there was no way for them to, 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 to know him or to get in touch with him. There's a story of a missionary coming to China and, and, and preaching the gospel there and people are getting saved and they told him, how come that it took you so long to come to us? Yeah. yeah. Even if you were so fortunate to be born in Israel under the old covenant, you lived a life within the religious ordinances of Israel, but you could never really encounter real forgiveness and assurance of salvation through Christ as we know it now. I do believe that there were many saints, or we will see many saints under the old um, covenant that, were, that had faith just as us. They just didn't have a full revelation of Jesus as we, have, as we have it now. Somebody may ask, when you bring the gospel to someone, but what happens to all those people who did not know Christ or who could not know him? It's really a hard question to answer, but I do believe that God is just, and he will judge them according to the light that they have, not according to what they did not know, but according to what they know. But thanks God, now we can know But there's also no excuse if you know the truth and you do not apply it to yourself. It says in Acts 17.30 when Paul preached in Athens, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God worked through Israel towards the point where he could finally reveal Christ to them. He masterminded with unsearchable wisdom and incredible genius to the event that led to the revelation and later crucifixion of the incarnated Christ. Christ has been foretold in the Old Testament from Abel to Zechariah, from A to Z. Every book of the Bible, maybe even every chapter, witnesses Christ. It's all in there. The clearest passage is arguably Isaiah 53. This is the chapter in the Bible 
or in the Old Testament that the Jews have the most problems with because it just speaks so so clearly. So they they're going at great lengths to try to explain it away. It is so descriptive of Christ crucified like no other passage in the Bible. It took God six days to create the universe and everything was good. Everything just as a snip of the fingers. One day after the other. Heaven and earth, plants, animals, whatever. That was easy. But working out redemption for man took God an awful lot of time. It was very time consuming. Why couldn't he not have revealed Christ right after Adam? No, he had to prepare man. He, God does not compromise the free will of man. He works through his Holy Spirit and in the same way he always needs man to cooperate with him. He always needs man who pray and who work with him. So the Old Testament is written it's a story of men who are inspired by God. God always works through man and woman, of course. So, we're still before the cross, all the thousands of years on, under the old covenant, and then we come to the Gospels. And in the Gospels, if you look at the chapter of John from 1 to 11, it has the, the, the first couple of years of the ministry of Christ. And then chapter 12, you have the last six days before the crucifixion. And chapter and John 13 to 17, you just have a couple of hours. You see the whole timeline suddenly slows down before the cross, all the events there. And this is called the Passion of Christ. Jesus had his mind unswervingly fixed on his own crucifixion. He told his disciples three times, they didn't know what was happening. They tried to prevent it. And he did it for the joy that was set before him. And to win a bride among all the people that, were, uh, that, that live here on, on earth throughout all the times. Mysteriously, we were told that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Can you imagine that? Right from the beginning of the world, the lamb not will be slain, but was slain. I cannot figure it out unless you do away with your understanding of time and space and just accept it that God is outside time, or time and space and decided that right from the beginning. It's a great mystery. The cross is outside the time-space continuum that we are living in. It has a cosmic dimension far beyond human understanding. In Colossians 1.20 we read, And having made peace with the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies, in your minds by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You're coming to the cross. I'm sending you on a, although we are celebrating the resurrection, but I want to go with you through this ordeal that Jesus went through. It is a, 
uh, it is something of a horror trip. It's a very brutal thing that happened. I think if it would happen before our eyes, it would just absolutely ravish you. There was an angry crowd gathering around the cross, mocking, screaming. Priests and scribes full of scorn and glee. Desperate disciples watching from afar, not able to look at this. Coming to the preposition on the cross. There hangs the king of the Jews. There's a table written about that. The Messiah, the Son of God, crucified. And the Son of Man lifted up. See the sinless Lamb of God. A man totally disfigured. Anything human could not be seen in him. Just flesh all torn all over the face. Burning with pain. Close to asphyxiation and dehydration. His skin ravished by a cat of nine tails. Crude nails fixing his hands and feet. Naked, exposed for all to be seen. Betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve. Deserted by his disciples. Rejected by his own people. Scorned by the religious caste. Reviled by the Romans. Mourned by women standing afar. But the worst thing for Jesus was not the suffering. The worst thing was that he was forsaken by his father and died. The hands that created man from dust now pierced by those who are made in the image of God. The cross is a place of extremes, yet perfectly balanced. The greatest injustice and brutality done wrought justice for all. Death on the cross was shame beyond measure, yet the most heroic work ever performed. Naked so that we would, could be clothed in robes of righteousness. He became a curse so that God's blessing could come upon us. The Son of God took the full wrath of wrath of God so that we could become beloved children. The darkest day in history ever, ever became the dawn of a new age. Tragedy and utter defeat was transformed in triumphant victory. The cruel mocking obscenities, betrayal of man, Christ met with the words, Father, forgive. Unlike the blood of Abel that cried for revenge since the beginning of time, rejection turned into resurrection. The wages of sin was paid in full. Death was sentenced to death. Satan, being a murderer, thief, liar, and accuser, was tripped up to his own doom. All this was masterminded by God from the beginning. And Jesus came to earth to execute this divine plan. This was the main reason he came. We come to left and right. You're all familiar with this story about the two dying thieves left and right to the cross. Jesus on the cross bids everyone to come. He says, when I'm the son of man be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Actually, these two Criminals, both are criminals, they typify the two kinds of people that live on earth. There are actually only two people 
types of people that live on earth. Forget about male and female, poor and rich, Jew and Gentile, old and young. There are only those who reject him or receive him. The two dying thieves both saw Christ in his dying pains. One still going on mocking and the other came to a senses in the last moment. And Christ assured him entry into heaven, paradise, as he repented and begged for pardon. They encountered the same judgment, but they are apart in eternity. Somebody said that is the only person in the Bible who was assured salvation by Jesus. We come to above the cross. What happened above? We send the Father turned his face away. Why? The Father could not behold his own Son becoming sin. He did not sin, but he became sin. For God, with his pure eyes, it was absolutely horrible to see his own son in this state. And I believe this moment caused the father unfathomable agony. Can you imagine the father agonizing over this event? He planned it, he knew it, he knew what was coming, but I believe he was emotionally so involved and so grieved about that was what was happening. Do you remember as children you were causing grief to your parents? Take this grief and multiply it by a zillion times and you can understand the grief of God. What, what happened there? Yes, the father masterminded it. There was no other way. I believe both father and son suffered apart from each other for, for a little moment. Sorry, I, I'm very moved by these things, um, but I, I get on. And it's all because of you and me. The sky above and around was dark from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. This could not have been an eclipse of the sun, because um, it, first of all, it lasted too long, and Passa was celebrated at full moon, and eclipses only happen at new moon. It could have been, that is now speculation, that the powers of darkness assembled um, around the cross to celebrate their supposed victory and obscured the sun. It could also be, perhaps, it was because Jesus, the light of the world, did not shine for a small period of time, for a couple of hours. We mostly talk about the fact that Jesus died for us. But I want to bring you to the fact or behold the fact that Jesus died to offer himself to the Father. It says in Ephesians 5 verse 2, And walk in love as Christ hath also loved us, and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a sweet-smelling savor. There's one thing that Christ had never experienced before. And that was um, that obedience comes at a price. Before, when father and son operated, obedience always was a yeah was a was a, was a great privilege to Christ. He always gladly did what his father thought of without without even thinking. Now he went to the cross and he had to 
learn obedience. He had to do something that was absolutely completely contrary to him. And to completely strange and horror. Jesus abhorred, the thing Jesus abhorred the most was sin and separation from his father. Not the, the mockings and, and the beatings. So he, in Hebrews 5 verse 8 it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So you might think, did the father demand that of his son? Jesus, you go to the cross. I do not think that he demanded it or commanded it. Christ knew that this was the only way to win back lost mankind <coughs> and to select his beautiful bride from among men. There was unspeakable joy ahead and this joy made it all worth it. It is like with the birth pains of a woman giving birth. So ladies and mothers, they, they will know it. It's a painful thing to give birth to a child. But once a child is, is born, it's joy. I believe Jesus saw that there was no other way than to go to the cross. And the Father also knew that. And he worked towards, towards that. We come to below the cross. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And his blood trickled down the wooden cross. And lastly, when he was pierced by the centurion, his blood spilled on the ground. There was a sudden flow or release of water and, and blood. In former days, all the time, blood was shed on earth. And it says in Numbers 35:33, So ye shall not pollute the land where you are in, for blood, for blood it defileth the land. And the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by blood of him that shed it. So, innocent blood shed on, on this earth should actually be atoned by the death penalty of the one who, who committed uh, the murder. So, the Bible talks about innocent blood defiles the land. The earth received for the first time a blood that was of a different type than the blood of Abel or the blood of innocent uh, victims. In the old covenant it was blood of animals that were poured out onto the ground. It was always poured out to the, uh, to, to the ground and, and covered. But this blood could never wash away sins. And this was done for centuries. Streams of of blood sometimes up to I think Solomon's time it was a hundred thousand sheep just imagine how much blood they had to flow and still could not take away the sins but here was a different type of blood precious blood this was the atoning blood of the lamb that took away the sins of the whole world not just some sins, but the sins of the whole world. The difference is if you believe it or not. The moment Jesus died, there was an earthquake. The earth was shaken. The sky above got dark. The earth below was shaken. Jesus died and went, uh, died and went down into Hades for three days. 
This is the realm of the dead where the disembodied souls live. It's not hell. And there he did two things. Uh, there's one hint in, in um, the um, epistle of Peter. He preached to those who were in former times disobedient to the preaching of Noah. When Noah warned the people that there will be a flood. Now somebody goes into the realm of death who did not have the credentials of a dead person, which is sin. A sinless person came into the realm of, of, of death. He came, so to say, as an intruder, as a, as a man, but, uh, but as, as a strange one, somebody who had not sinned. So death could not have hold on him. The, uh, Hades had never seen anyone before who did not deserve to be there. Jesus came to taste death for every man, so that in everything he would be like us. The realm of death, I don't want to go too much into detail that takes some more um, thorough Bible study. I believe it's, uh, there are two compartments there, and maybe actually more, uh, for, uh, so that there are the unrighteous dead people and there are the righteous dead people. But both are confined in the realm of, of, de of death. And it is under the earth. And uh, secondly, Jesus went there and released those souls that were righteous um, into heaven when he ascended. This is why he said to the dying thieves, today you will be with me, not in Hades, but in, in paradise. In Ephesians 4, verse 8, we have a clue. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that is descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all, fill all things. The others, so... These righteous saints in the Old Testament, during the Old Testament times that uh, could not know Christ, they were taken up um, into, um, into paradise. The others remained in Hades, or the world of death, and uh, will be kept there until the great white throne judgment. And then at the end, the realm of death, or Hades, will be thrown into the lake of fire to devil where the de devil and his demon angels are. So, now we come to going beyond the cross and looking back. Christ brought us victory on the cross. He overcame sin and death and rose again at the third day. By faith we participate in this victory. Now we can look back to the cross. Christ crucified, that is the essence of the gospel message. This is what we always should tell people. It is a historic event, but much more. If we believe that Jesus died for our sins, we have eternal life. And I want to ask around here, do we all believe that? This is the most important question in life. And you should know how to answer it. It is by revelation. It is not by working it out in your brain. It's either revealed to you or not. And that settles your eternity. I hope you know for yourself.
what the truth is. So, this divides the whole mankind into believers and unbelievers. Therefore, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to commemorate what Jesus has done on the cross. Until the time comes to the end and the wedding of the Lamb and the Bride will take place. So, why do we have the Lord's Supper? Because the cross is, is absolutely essential and crucial to our, to our faith. We should always be looking to the cross, what happened there. Because out of this, we live. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Have you ever been to a brethren meeting? I'm not advocating their theology or custom views. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there's a lot we can borrow from, from them. They really take their time to celebrate uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper. So we live in a time between the cross and Christ's return. The cross deals with our past in justification, present in sanctification, and future to glorification. I say that again. The cross deals with our past in justification, present in sanctification, and future in or to glorification. We do not worship the cross, so I'm glad we, yeah. we, we don't have a do we, yeah. we have a cross here, but we don't work we don't worship it. Where we live, we have a lot of crucifixes all, all over the place with some Bible verses written in there, but people worship the cross, which we don't do. We worship Christ in seven stages. Christ incarnate, Christ crucified, Christ who died, Christ risen, Christ ascended. Christ glorified and Christ soon to return. So, now that we have spoken about all the different dimensions of the cross, how about us? Is that something that is also deeply in our, in our heart? Have we really understood it? Do we just understand it with our head? Or is it something we we live for. So, Christ died for us, but that is just the start. This is from where we, we, we live on. We need to apply the cross to ourselves, what happened there. In Galatians 2 verse 20 it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we understand that, we should, live, we should leave our self-life behind. And talking about these biographies, in many of the biographies I read that some people started somehow as a Christian, maybe from Christian upbringing, understanding something of the cross, but some of them had this experience that they are crucified uh, with, with Christ. And this is a great, a great experience that brings great liberty in your, in your life. 
they were they experienced the filling of the spirit of the spirit of God. They had rapturous moment of union with Christ, resulting in manifold fruit in their in their lives, in their personal life. Read about Hudson Taylor. He came to this experience after he labored and labored and labored. Wesley had this experience. He labored and labored and went out into into America preaching there, and then he met the Moravians. And uh, some of them, they were accused of a heresy called sinless perfection or entire sanctification. But I think most of them were really misunderstood. They were misunderstood by people who did not know what they were talking about, who did not have this experience. And they were fighting it because they, their lives did not match up with it. There was some sort of conviction that said, no, no, this, this, is, this is heresy. This goes too far. I believe there must be, after this total surrender, after we experience what Christ has, has done, we can do the same. Oswald Chambers called this, calls this our white funeral. Or Andrew Murray, who has read, who of you has read Andrew Murray? Um, he calls it a total surrender. And this is for everyone. So, there's a story in the Bible about the ten lepers. Nine went to the priests and showed themselves to their priests and got, and, got, and got healed. And one came back and fell down and worshipped Jesus. Which of the ten are you? Are you in this big group who just gets the healing and what has Christ done for me? Which is fine, which is fair enough. So they went to the priests. Or do you fall down and worship and give God your all? The nine did know the Lord as Savior, but not as Lord yet. There are people who always ask themselves, what can I get out of it? What can I get out of this fellowship? How's the preaching there? How's the, how's the music there? How friendly they are? What does it for me? We should say goodbye to ourselves. <laughs> goodbye, Philip. Goodbye, self-life. <laughs> no longer I live. But Christ lives in me. Amen. Have you had this experience? Do you know what I'm what I'm talking about? The self life always tries to claw claw back and tries to get you. But we should know Christ crucified in our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, words cannot describe what really happened there. I just made such a poor attempt in describing, trying to describe what's happened there. Lord, let us never see this as a cheap thing or as a commonplace thing or something that we only understand with our minds. Lord, I pray that we will respond to that as the one Samaritan leper falling down to worship. Lord, that should bring us to worship, an attitude of worship. Let us live this resurrection life, which is only possible if I said goodbye to all my own aspirations and wishes, anything that I could, could, could gain. Oh Lord Jesus, let this carry us through, through all the difficulties and all loneliness and health issues and whatever it is. Lord, I pray for Gateway Fellowship that this will be really written all over them, that they live the crucified life, which is actually the...